Hello, everyone. Welcome to the June 2021 episode of the Solidarity Is This podcast. I'm your guest host this month. My name is Anna Castro, and I'm the manager of Solidarity Is at Building Movement Project. I have been a collaborator on this project for three years, working alongside Deepa Iyer, your fabulous podcast host. In typical visionary and builder style, Deepa has been working on a project that launched this month called Move the Money, Practices and Values for Funding Social Movements. Move the Money is a set of resources geared towards grant-making institutions eager to expand and deepen their support of organizations, networks, and leaders involved with social change movements. I invite you to visit Building Movement Project's website and check it out. I'm excited to guest host this month's episode. If you enjoy it too, please subscribe and share it with others. Welcome to the vibrant world of change agents, their campaigns, and their stories known as Solidarity Is This. In this episode, I will talk to one of my favorite disruptors, Jorge Gutierrez, Executive Director of Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement. Along with being a disruptor, Jorge is a frontline responder and builder, and one of the movement leaders behind the End Trans Detention Campaign. Jorge and I spoke during Pride Month, right before he and around 150 other LGBTQ immigrants and their allies traveled to Washington, D.C., to demand that the Biden administration put an end to Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE's, practice of detaining transgender people and people living with HIV. Jorge and I discussed how the COVID vaccine has given disruptors who use direct action tactics to raise awareness of their campaigns and demands the opportunity to gather in person once again. Familia, an organization that builds trans and queer Latinx power, used the increased visibility of Pride Month to coordinate a series of actions across the country to engage co-conspirators in joining the fight to end trans detention. We also discussed the origins of the campaign. Three transgender women have died as a result of ICE's negligence. Victoria Arellano in 2007, Roxana Hernandez in 2018, and Joanna Medina in 2019. Jorge and I discussed the critical intervention he and movement leaders like Isa Nayola and Marissa Franco of Mi Gente and Jenny Gutierrez of Familia made in creating the End Trans Detention Campaign. Transgender people face a disproportionate amount of violence and detention, and their stories and demands highlight the need to center people whose experiences lie at the intersections of multiple systems of oppression. After listening to the podcast, I invite you to explore the End Trans Detention website. A number of organizations have collaborated on the campaign, and through their efforts, they seek justice for Victoria, Roxana, and Joanna, and all transgender immigrants, LGBTQ immigrants, Black immigrants, and people living with HIV who have been formerly or currently detained by immigration enforcement. These organizations include Black LGBTQI Plus Migrant Project, Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement, Mi Gente, and Transgender Law Center. For more information, visit ntransdetention.org. Now onto the podcast with Jorge. So Jorge, here we are in Pride Month, a very busy month for your organization, Familia Trans Queer Liberation Movement. And I wanted to ask you both as a member of the community and as also an organizer and an activist for a long time, you know, what is your relationship with Pride uh, this year? And I ask that in particular because we are still, you know, living under a pandemic, but the possibility to gather has now opened up. And I also want to hear, you know, how has your relationship with Pride Month shifted over time? 
you know, part of what familias, I would call sazon or secret sauce is, you know, that we, throughout the seven years that we've existed as an organization, we've always prioritized bringing folks together, whether, you know, for trainings, retreats, conferences, you know, because we really, I think, value that community space, that being able to be in, in rooms together. And, and for us, that's where like the magic and strategy and vision really comes from. And I think, you know, the, the pandemic really sort of put a break to all of that. You know, our staff felt it, our members felt it. Um, it was really difficult to engage folks digitally for many reasons. And so, you know, we've missed that this whole year, you know, And so I think that this Pride Month, you know, because things are starting to open and it's safer for folks, right? More folks are vaccinated. You know, that's why we're like, let's go all out this month, right? Like we've been organizing local actions and events in different cities. And, you know, we're heading to D.C. next week to convene about 100 folks, right? And so we know, I know that for me, you know, I get so re-energized. I get inspired every time we're with folks, you know, and when you can see the resilience, the joy, that despite all the obstacles that we're facing, our people continue to show up, right? Continue to say, hey, I'm here. I want to continue to organize, right? Because we deserve better and we need more changes in our communities. And so for me, that's been, you know, this Pride Month has been exciting because for that reason, the possibilities of coming together again have started to open up. And I think that our folks are looking forward to that because the pandemic has also created so much isolation for our communities, especially for folks that, you know, live in smaller towns and smaller cities that are not in New York, that are not in LA or not in Chicago. So for us, bringing people together is we feel that that's like so important. And then I feel like that's why people like to to engage with us, right? Because they know that they're going to be in community, you know, throughout the year. And, you know, for me, I think that my relationship with Pride has you know, evolved and, you know, it's gotten more complicated and complex. Not that those are bad things, right? But because I know I've been doing this work for, you know, more than 12 years, I know the issues like that our folks are still facing that the things that we're still fighting for, right? And so for me, right, visibility without a demand is nothing, right? If we're allowing all these corporations and businesses to put a logo uh, rainbow flag on their logo to try to get money out, out of our pockets to buy the products, right? Then we got to be asking the right questions, right? How are you treating your workers, right? Do they have health care? Do they have protections? Are they able to unionize? And I think that that goes also goes to, you know, maybe some of the folks that are more privileged in, in our communities, right? You know, why LGBT communities, right? That, you know, are eager to party at bars who are eager to be in those kinds of places, right? No, like no shade, no shame, because I think we should celebrate. I want to celebrate too, right? But are these folks connected to the local organizations or communities, right? Do they know that people are fighting for affordable housing? Do they know that, you know, LGBTQ people are dealing with so much trauma, dealing with so many issues impacting their everyday lives in this moment, right? So how are they engaging in that way? How are they showing up for our communities, right? Because there's so much that's that's happening. And so I think for me, you know, that visibility is great, but it has to come with like demands for all of us, right? So that all of our communities can continue to, you know, create the changes that we need to happen. You know, you mentioned that Familia is hosting a lot of events in June using, you know, the added visibility of Pride to issue demands. And a big demand that you are leveraging right now is a call to end trans detention. And so I wanted to ask you a bit more about this campaign. 
you know, can you tell me about your role? You know, when did this campaign start? And, you know, what is the lineage? How does this fit into a long and vibrant history of a LGBTQ liberation movement? You know, the end trans attention campaign was started, you know, six, seven years ago. And, you know, really came from, you know, local organizing and us finding out, you know, that ICE had created what they called, you know, an LGBT pod detention center specifically to target and detain and deport LGBTQ immigrants. And, you know, and we went after this detention center, we went, went after ICE and in our research and, you know, even our demand started to evolve, right? We started to really see huge numbers of trans people detained who were getting deported, who were getting mistreated, who were going through all kinds of abuse inside detention centers. And we were like, we felt that there was a moral obligation to focus in, you know, on trans immigrant communities. And so my role, you know, in that campaign was really to, one, bring people together to understand the issue and what was happening and to be able to say, and we got to fight for this. And we got to demand that this needs to end. And so I was sort of really part of the beginning of getting this off the ground when, you know, maybe when we ourselves didn't fully understand the implications of this kind of campaign, didn't understand how it all connected to sort of the broader demands to end all detention and all deportations, when other LGBT organizations didn't want to touch this, right? Because it's like, what is this? It's a new demand. And so, you know, seven years later, right now, you know, um, I think, you know, I'm really proud of, I think, that decision, I think, of that, that risk that we took that we didn't know where it was going to go, you know, just like with any campaign that you start. But for us, it was like, again, a moral obligation, you know, seven years later, I think the end-trans attention, at least on the surface level, has been adopted by the broader immigrant rights movement, right? Where now it has become a talking point in the broader immigrant rights movement. I think that that, right, has, the campaign has brought that kind of visibility. But again, right, like how are we really, there's a tangible demand, right? There's ways that we're saying, right, there's right now, there's a, trans policy memo that was sent to the Department of Homeland Security that outlines how they can stop deporting and trans people. Right? That's a tool. It's a tangible thing. It's an actual demand. And I don't know if it sounds, you know, bizarre to say, but I think, you know, we're close to it. We've been at it for seven years. You know, there's this memo, there's this way, you know, there's already community organizations across the country who are working, you know, with, you know, trans, you know, migrants who are, you know, being released from detention centers. So there's already in some way it's an infrastructure on how to do it that's outlined in the memo. And so that's, you know, we've been doing direct action and mobilizing, training people up, right? Have brought visibility, you know, to a community. And in a way also, right, we've kind of have paved a new way through this new demand, you know, within the broader immigrant rights way, right? We sort of kind of expanded who's considered an immigrant, right? What are the different communities who are part of this, right? It's no sort of like, no, like there is so much more complexity we're not monolithic, right, when we're talking about immigrant communities in the U.S., right? There's Black immigrants, it's LGBT folks, right? There's disabled folks, there's, you know, single parents who are, like, being detained, young people, right? So it's all of that. And so I think for us, we've paved the way, we created a new, a new lane in this broader movement and to say, like, look, we're here and we're not going to go anywhere. And we want to complicate the conversation around immigration and we want to complicate the conversation around citizenship and who's deserving who's not deserving right who gets to get deported who gets to stay here all of that and so i think that that's what the campaign has been doing and this you know pride month that's why we're you know going to dc and you know a church service uh, a rally in front of the white house to say we can't have pride when we have folks who are in detention thank you jorge that was so rich and honestly it makes me reflect on the fact that yes 
This is currently Pride Month, but it is also Immigrant Heritage Month. And so I wanted to go back to talking a bit about you and getting to know a bit more about you. I would love to hear what has it been like to be a disruptor in the immigrants' rights space and in the LGBTQ movement space? What are some of the lessons that you learned by stepping into that space and by taking that role of disruptor? And I think also, you know, wanting to hear from you, who are the people or communities that have shaped the way that you think about immigration or organizing or movement now? I think, you know, at the beginning, it was very lonely because like, I think that we were trying to figure it out. Not to say that we were the only ones doing L2B immigration work because that's not it, right? But I think that we were, um, a few of us were really thinking about sort of that national perspective of trying to, like we said, right, like of trying to elbow ourselves in, uh, in this broader conversation and these broader coalitions that have been going on for decades now, right? And so um, at the beginning, it was like, it was a lot of fighting. It was a lot of, you know, knocking on doors and, hey, are you down to do this, right? Folks not really wanting to or not knowing how their work, you know, fits so sort of what we were trying to do. And so we did a lot of sort of kind of like the, we were sort of kind of like cutting the grass and getting like the soil ready, right, to harvest sort of these new ideas that we were coming and people were like uh, reacting to it. And so I think, yeah, so there was like lonely, you know, a lot of, a lot of fighting with, you know, the immigrant rights movement, a lot of infighting with the LGBTQ movement, right? And I think that some of it was, I think in, in retrospect, some of it was good. I think some of it we could have done with, right? Um, and I think a part of it, maybe we got some of our frustration to get the best of us at times. Rightfully so, I would say. But I think after that, once we sort of found our groove and we're like, no, like, you know, we got to do this. Like no one else is really thinking about this community, this campaign in this way. There's something here. Let's run with it. And so I think we were just kind of, you know, like cooks in the kitchen who uh, maybe we were not cooks or good at cooking, but, you know, but we were trying to put some recipes together, um, right? And then we would try them and they maybe we didn't like them, it didn't stick and then we'd go move on to the next. And then we found platforms like the Nawa More Deportation Campaign who really, you know, we were like, we want to be part of that campaign. It was really right to, to really talk about how our folks are being criminalized um, and that even after our folks are being criminalized and have criminal records, our people still deserve dignity. You know, that really aligned with us. And we're like, let's jump on this. Let's make the end-trans attention demand part of this not one more. And so that's how we were able to, you know, bring even more visibility, bring in more LGBTQ folks into the fold who wanted to organize with us and who are still organizing with us, you know, to this day. Yeah, and that's taking seven years, right? Like, we know that campaigns can take many years, right? And it's not just about the win. I think for me, you know, what I'm really proud of is like, that we how now have a network of grassroots local organizations and leaders and a base who are doing this work now day in, day out, who have, you know, seen themselves reflected in our values and in the campaign, who know that this is their campaign and who continue to show up every time there's an action for them to do, they show up, right? And we've seen that this time, you know, this month, you know, with the local actions, right? People understand them, they man, people like, are, you know, and a lot of them have been have experienced detention before. And so they know what it is, right? Um, and so I think that that for me, that's, I'm really proud that there's, whole, there's a whole network of community. It's not just one leader, it's many leaders now who are doing this work. And 
who are going to continue the fight. And so like that for me, right. Again, it's not just about like that, uh, you know, end of the road win, right. Or that tangible win, but it's all about them between all the relationships that we've been able to build, you know, all the challenges that we've been able to face, um, all the fighting that we had to do, but now there's a whole network. There's a whole base of, you know, LGBT immigrants who have been developed by the campaign, who have become organizers throughout, you know, through the campaign and who are doing the work in in their communities. And so that's exciting for me to see. Like the work that you are describing and the work that you're engaging in being so heavily centered around lived experience. We're talking about being in close communication with families who've lost people to immigration enforcement. They've lost folks who've been killed by immigration enforcement. You know, again, talking about Roxana Hernandez and Joana Medina and Victoria Arellano. That type of work takes a lot of energy and a lot of emotional strength to be able to manage. I want to ask you, what are some of the practices that you have in doing this work that help you deal with the psychological toll that it takes to come into contact with trauma? For me, I think what's helped me along the years, I think one is, is you just got to, as community organizer, there's so much stuff happening, right? And then so much stuff comes at you. I think one that's helped me is like, you got to build some thick skin. So many people, so many of us are dealing with so much. That always helps, I think, to not take things personally, to be able to process a lot of, you know, complicated emotions and be able to then sort of, you know, do the work that you got to do. I think to mentorship, finding, you know, a crew of folks that you can go to and vent and troubleshoot and get advice and knowledge from, because again, this work is complicated. Uh, it's day in, day out, um, you know, many times, and we need all the love and support that we can get. And we don't know it all, you know, as much as we like to think so at times we don't. And I think that, you know, for me, the mentorship of, you know, people like, you know, Marisa Franco, like Isa Noyola, you know, Jenny Zett, um, and so many others have really, I think, provided so much grounding and a space for me to just really like show up as my full self. In, and even in times where like, you know, I screw up and to be able to get re-energized, to be, get reminded and to get some advice on how to move through it all. Uh, you know, because, you know, for me, I think I'm committed to this work, you know, maybe my roles and all that will change, right? But I think I'm like, I'm committed for the long term. And so but in order to, to be in a long term, you have to like, figure out where you need to get your, you know, uh, nourished uh, from, right? And so for me, that a lot of mentorship. And I think also, um, my mother gives me so much hope and inspires me every day to, you know, roll up my sleeves and do the work that we need to do to be able to create the changes for our people. And so, you know, she gives me a lot of love and compassion and really good food, which is, you know, also really, really important. Jorge, at one point in this conversation, you mentioned that we are close to ending trans detention. And in your, you know, decades of work, Uh, that there have just been moments where, you know, we see how much power is built when you give LGBTQ immigrants the reins to be able to think through the solutions of what our immigration system should look like. So I want to ask you, in your ideal world, 
what would our immigration system look like? What would it feel like for an LGBTQ immigrant to interact with it? I find that oftentimes people who want to support both LGBTQ immigrants, immigrants in general, we pivot towards legislation. And you've said earlier, you know, we have to think beyond even pathways to legalization and citizenship. So again, in this ideal world, what does this immigration system look like, feel like? How does an LGBTQ immigrant navigate it? I like this question a lot. And, you know, I keep thinking of an LGBT immigrant knocking a door at a community center and that someone welcomes them, asks them, how are you? How can I help you? Here's a meal to get you started. And then there's a conversation that happens. There's a menu, you know, that gets rolled out of where do you want to live? What kind of job would you like? You know, how far do you want to travel? You know, what kind of services you know, do you like? You know, what brings you happiness and that we're able to, that this person can feel fully seen, that it's not about charity, right? It's about giving opportunities and possibilities so that folks can make their own decisions about where they want to live, who they want to look, what kind of job you know, do they want, and, you know, what are things that are going to bring, bring them joy and happiness? That's how I see it. Because I think that that goes beyond sort of a piece of paper, right, that puts a stamp on someone who's legal or not. And I think that that, one, it's like super problematic and, you know, but I think it also limits our our creativity and the way that we approach immigrant rights organizing in this country. So, yeah, so I, you know, and I see all kinds of people going through that community center and then, you know, taking a bus, taking a bike, walking, running to their next, you know, community where they're going to, you know, build roots um, and then you know, continue to move, take another bus, take another bike, you know, make take another walk into another community and build more roots. That's how I see immigration. To me, that sounds like the freedom to thrive. Right. And the freedom to have a home, to build a home wherever you would want. So, you know, thank you for sharing that vision. I think you're right. When we start to think of it from the vantage point of what a human being deserves, regardless of where they are born, um, regardless of sexual orientation, gender identity, at the core of it, what should be the purpose of our immigration system? It should be to give people the opportunity to be a human that right. gets to choose their own path. Yes. Jorge, thank you so much for being here with me today. I know it is a busy month and you have been making sure that end trans detention is all over our social media spaces. So thank you for being here. Thank you for having me and happy Pride Month. Jorge and the organizers of the end trans detention campaign are a source of constant inspiration for me. And I'm so happy to have shared his beautiful vision of what we can accomplish together at the end of this episode. If you want to take a deeper dive, here are some prompts to reflect on. First off, beloved trans and queer, Black, Indigenous, and people of color, I share with you all of the joy and love in my heart. Victoria, Roxana, Joanna, Lorena, Monica, Dominique, Leilene, and too many others, presente. For those of us navigating these shared histories and lived experiences beyond Pride Month, how can we celebrate and make space to grieve what was taken from us? 
for the allies and co-conspirators of transgender immigrants, LGBTQ immigrants, Black immigrants, and people living with HIV who have been formerly or currently detained by immigration enforcement. How can we uplift and advocate for the demands of people affected by different systems of oppression? I invite you to visit transgenderlawcenter.org and check out the Trans Agenda for Liberation for more information about how you can get involved. Until next time, I wish you the love and support you deserve. I'm Anna Castro. See you on these digital streets.